0: say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, you, Mac and team. How about that? This is a thing, a Mac and team. (laughs) You can market that one. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation where you have done so much for someone, And then maybe, just maybe, you got even just a thank you. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you gave, and you gave, and then you gave some more? And you may, just may, get a, an appreciation. Or, have you known someone <laughs> who is so blessed of God that the blessing's literally coming out of their ears. And yet all they can talk about are their problems, all the difficulties they're going through, all the wrong things that are going on in their life, how victims they are. I don't want to overdo this, but I think many of you understand what I'm trying to say. If you've ever been in a situation where you have loved and loved and loved, and then you loved some more, only to discover that your sacrificial loving is taken for granted, or maybe even experienced rejection altogether. Now, if you've ever been there, or anywhere near that situation, or you observe that in anyone, you will be able to catch a tiny glimpse, a tiny glimpse of how our Lord Jesus Christ felt in the passage that we're about to study this morning. Please turn to Luke 17, beginning at verse 11, as we bring this whole series of enduring wisdoms from the lip, wisdom from the lips of Jesus to an end. Maybe we need to come back to it at some point and, and, and do some more, but uh, today, we're going to bring this to an end today. And as we Um, Look at this particular passage. By the way, if you don't have your Bible, don't hesitate to grab one from the front and the back or have somebody pass it to you. Just get a Bible from the pew. It's page 1627, 1627 in the pew Bible. And follow as we're going to stand up and read the Word of God together. I'm going to read the first verse as I always do. And then... Let you read the rest of it. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. There you go. Father, if there's ever a one who has given and given and given and then given some more, is your Son, our Lord Jesus. And so help us today. Help us. Because without you, we cannot please Him. So help us to comprehend the enormity of His gift of salvation. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My father was a hard-nosed businessman. He was not a preacher. As a matter of fact, there's not a preacher in our family. They were all bankers and Economists and business, and uh, and that's why I'm the black sheep in the family. (laughs) They could shake their head and couldn't understand how the brilliant bankers and mathematicians can have a younger brother who flunked math. I guess the Lord had a purpose. But the church that my father belonged to had a practice where the elders, each elder, will preach once a year, mercifully, <laughs> once a year, and at the evening service, which is not as well attended. Now, as a young fellow from the age of five, I would sit in the front pew, absolutely enthralled by the preacher. I don't know why, that was God's innate ability he put in me, desire, loved being watching preachers sit in the front pew at the age of five and six. And uh, the rest I'm not going to tell you because I used to go home and try to imitate those preachers and entertain the family. <laughs> and so I have not forgotten at the age of eight sitting in the front pew watching my father, who has no theological training no biblical training whatsoever, preached a memorable sermon. It was so memorable that people talked about it for years to come. Uh, Being a hard-nosed man in the business world, he began to complain as to why are only those who are suffering and the needy and the hurting cling to Jesus. Um, And after he issued litany… Uh, of descriptions that we would not use today in in, in modern day, (laughs) not offensive, but they're they're kind of not not the best of ways to describe people. He ended up by saying, poor Jesus, he gets stuck with all the rejects. (laughs) As I told you, that statement just constantly talked about for years, for years, and even my older siblings used to sit down and talk about it for years to come. Mercifully, the pastor would not let him preach after that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as I said, we used to make fun of of my father, but the truth is, most people become great prayer warriors. (laughs) They cling to Jesus when they're desperate for Jesus to answer their prayers. That is a fact. I've seen it all over the world, not just in one place. But often, when the, often not always, but often when the need is met, not all, but the majority, seldom pray a prayer of thanks with that same intensity by which they were petitioning Jesus. I'm always careful not to make rules or even principles from the Scripture about one incident, but I'm I'm very careful. Even if it is something I personally believe, but I'm very careful to make a general rule. But I often wondered if 10% of the lepers who came back and thanked Jesus after they were all healed in Luke 17, if not, this is really a general statistic. I'm just wondering. I sure hope not. Can it be only 10% of those whom God answered their prayers actually come back to thank the Lord with that same intensity by which they petitioned the Lord? Again, I really hope not. But for years, church statistics have shown that 20% of any church do 80% of the giving, 80% of the work, And that is why you don't understand, and I'm not flattering you. I go on my knees every day, and I thank God for this church of the apostles because that statistic doesn't apply here. At least 80% of of the members are involved in ministry and serving and giving, and and maybe the the other 20% that's serving somewhere else. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Luke chapter 17. You see, that one out of the ten—you can do that motion with me—one out of the ten who were supernaturally, miraculously healed by Jesus actually came back to thank Jesus. Not just to give Him kind of a lip service or a tippet thank you, but this man was just as enthusiastic— and just as intense in his thanksgiving as he was when he was begging Jesus for healing. Look at the Scripture with me, please. A group of ten, melancholy lepers, met Jesus at the border between Samaria and Galilee. I'm going to tell you why the border. This is really important. See, Luke is a scientist. I'm going to show you some more. And being meticulous with the details, he had to give us that little detail. Because by law, the lepers had to live outside the border of the city. By law, lepers have to live in no man's land. These ten were mixtures of Samaritans and Jews. We don't know exact percentage normally the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealing with each other. You remember from John chapter 4, where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, she reminded him, the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. But misery drew the two groups together, the two historic enemies together. (laughs) You see, as they say, misery loves company. I don't know about you, but have you noticed, I noticed that through the years, whether it be in a neighborhood, whether it be in an office, or a community, or school. I don't know if you notice that, but always somehow the gripers and the complainers and the critics always get drawn together. They kind of have a bond. They say, water, find its level. And the ground was level under these lepers' feet. The ground was where the Jew or Samaritan, the, the ground was level. The ethnic background was not important when your skin is filled with leprosy. You see, when your skin covered with white patches called leprosy, ethnicity doesn 't matter anymore. In Leviticus thirteen, the Bible tells us that the diagnosis of leprosy is left to the priest. And uh, the first time in a sign of leprosy on the skin, the person goes to the priest and the priest gives him seven days of isolation to see if this is just a passing case or not. And after seven days, he examines him again and if seven days later still there, then he declares him a leper, and declared that by the priest. At that point, he was taken away into isolation. They have to be outside of society, they're outside of the city wall, outside of the community. They have to be isolated. The only person who's allowed to be near a leper is another leper. Beloved, I want you to understand this. and It's like my friend used to say, I'm not exaggerating, and I'm just blowing it up so you can see it. <laughs> A leper's life was like hell on earth. It really is. We, we cannot even comprehend that. Because in the Old Testament, <coughs> leprosy was a type of sin. Do you know what I mean by type? Not exactly. That has nothing to do with sin, but it's a type of sin. Just like we say that in the Bible, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. He's not Satan, but he's a type of Satan. And the idea is the community has to stay pure. The community of God, the people of God, have to stay away from being contaminated. And so the Samaritans shoved the lepers outside the border, and so did the the Jews from Galilee. So they ended up on the border between those two regions, My dear beloved, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, that is why Jesus, and only Jesus, could touch a leper. Why? Because He is the only sin-bearer who can touch a sinner without being a sinner Himself. Because He's the only one who could touch a sinner without being contaminated with sin because He's the only perfect, sinless God-man who takes away our sin. And so these ten stood at distance, and they yelled out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Probably somebody told them, hey, guys, Jesus is going to bypass this area. Nobody ever comes near us. Nobody comes in this border town. But here he is coming by. And so they knew right away that only Jesus could heal them. So they began to yell, Jesus, have mercy on us. You see, only Jesus understood their desperation. Only Jesus understood their predicament. Only Jesus understood their feeling of rejection. Only Jesus understood the desperate need and their deepest longing. Only Jesus understood the uh, crushed spirits on the inside of them. Only Jesus understood their painful loneliness. Only Jesus understood that lonely isolation. Only Jesus have understood their inner pain. Look at the text with me, please. (laughs) Is <laughs> the amazing thing Jesus doesn't even tell them you're healed. You know, he, many times he'll touch people and they were healed, and he doesn't even tell them that. You, you know, you just notice that in that text. He didn't tell them, "Hey, you're supernaturally, miraculously, been healed." No, no, no. He, you know what he said to them? Just "Go yourselves, to, show yourselves to the priests, so you can get a certification of cleansing." Think about this with me, okay? Think about it. The people who were looked upon as the worst of the worst, now they can enter back into society. Now they can get jobs. Now uh, they can talk to people. Now they can even marry and have children. Are you with me? And that's what Jesus did for them. Beyond the physical healing, that's what he did for them. Listen to me. What Jesus did was far more than just physical healing. It was more than just healing a disease or a condition. He restored the earthly life. He made the life possible again. But here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. Are you ready for it? Only one... Of the ten, came back. I often wondered if the other nine have read Joel Osteen's book, (laughs) Your Best Life is Now. You know why I grieve over this? Because for most of these people, this is their best life. It is now. But for us who know Jesus and love Jesus, this is not our best life. This is not our best life. These nine took their healing for granted. These nine, they, they, they took the gift and dumped the giver. These nine thought that it was naming it and claiming it, grabbing it and blabbing it and grabbing it, it was healed them. Nothing has changed. People always give themselves the credit for their positive attitude, for their positive mental attitude that really accomplish things. Give me a break. There are, of course, some today who think that their parents owe them something. The government owes them something. And the government loves it. Did you know that? the government lo- Governments have always been against God. I don't care what kind of government it is. Always it goes against God. Because the government loves to create a whole generation of people who are utterly dependent on the government and not on God. I always say the government usurping the work that the church should be doing. And this is the only way that these governments can have people dependent on them so they can keep on voting them in office, so they can keep giving them, so they can vote for them, so they can keep giving to them. That story doesn't have a very pretty ending. Let me assure you, I lived in one of those societies, and I saw collapse. I grew up the first 18 years of my life, the first 18 years of my life, I saw a country that was a breadbasket of the region become a basket case. Only one came back to Jesus with deep, deep, deep sense of gratitude and thankfulness. As I said, Dr. Luke is so meticulous with details that he made sure that we knew that this one was a Samaritan. (laughs) He, He made sure that we understood that. Now, beloved, I want to tell you something. I have known some former Muslim terrorists, some Islamists, some militant Muslim, when they prayed in the room in thanksgiving for God's salvation by grace through Jesus Christ, the room in which I'm standing, shook. And today we have well-meaning evangelicals in the West who are embarrassed about biblical truth, about biblical morality, embarrassed identifying with the infallible Word of God. Listen to me. Gratitude to God for our salvation should not be something that is rare. It ought to be as regular as our heartbeat. Some years ago, someone made a statement. It went as far long. He who forgets the language of gratitude can never be on speaking terms with true happiness. True happiness. Not the fake happiness they're trying to sell us. I want you I want you to notice there are two separate acts in verses 15 and 16. You can see them in in the Scripture. Two separate acts. Verse 15, he praised God in a loud voice. Verse 16, that wasn't enough. He falls on his face before Jesus in thanksgiving. Now, I want to give you three lessons from this incident, okay? Three lessons. Don't panic. They're not… Somebody will say, oh, my goodness, he hasn't preached his three-point sermon yet. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Listen, I, 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 can, I can read. No, 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 no. This is just quick lessons. Three quick lessons from this incident. I pray to God you won't forget it. And as I often say, if you blink, you're going to miss them, okay? First thing, lesson I want to tell you is this. Many are the requests, few are the thanks. Secondly, many are the professed, few are the gratitudes. And thirdly, the greatest blessing is in thanksgiving. And the greater your thanks, the greater your blessing. I want to show you these very, very quickly. Stay with me. Are you with me? have I lost you no. praise god many of you know this many other requests few other thanks i really really try to work hard with the text as i grapple with it every week and i genuinely try to give those nine the benefit of the doubt Let's just give them a benefit of the doubt, okay? Just, just let's say they just dried up Presbyterians <laughs> or Baptists or whatever your line of, your line of uh, libel is. They're just not into praising God loudly like the old Pentecostals used to. Look, I understand, not everyone is demonstrative and loud. I understand that. I really do. But please, these people did not care to thank Jesus in any shape or form. They didn't even mumble the words. They just never showed up. When they needed Jesus to heal them, they yelled out in a loud voice, Jesus, have mercy. When they wanted a miracle, when they were desperate, when they were in trouble, when they were in need, they yelled it out, many of the requests, few are the facts. I think most of us, like that little girl I read about many years ago, who was running up and down the train Uh, carriage. She is outgoing, friendly little girl, and she was going back and forth and up and down, making friends, charming passengers and giggling and laughing with such confidence that even the passengers, you couldn't figure out whose daughter she was. That, until there was a sudden whistle and a loud shriek and a roar into a dark tunnel she's immediately jumped on her mother's arms. I think we're like that little girl. When the sun is shining, sky is blue, and the gr- grass is green, all is well with us, we're full of ourselves, right? As soon as we hear a shriek of trouble or dark tunnel closes in, we cry to God. My goodness, actually, we become great prayer warriors. When our needs are met, few go back to God with the same intensity, with the same heartfelt thank- thankfulness as they made when they had the request. I want to tell you, as God my witness, I will tell you, God forbid that this would be me. And God forbid that this be anybody who's listening to me. Many other requests, few other thanks. Secondly, many of the prof- who profess, few are the true grateful. We're not told if the other nine did not believe in Jesus. We don't know that, okay? We are not told. If the other nine did not profess to be Christians, we don't know that, but we know they have must believed in Jesus' words because they did hit up straight to the priests. At time of their need, they would profess anything, and at the time of their need, they would do anything. At the time of their need, they would accept anything that's going to help them. And yet, when the desperation was met, it was never translated into tangible thankfulness. It was never translated into practical gratitude. It was never translated into a tangible expression of thanksgiving. Listen. There are so many people who wrestle with God like Jacob, so many who would intercede like Elijah, so many who would plead with God like Jeremiah, but very few come back to the Lord with the same intensity as this ex-leper Samaritan. I pray, God, that would never be said of me, Many are the requests, few are the thanks. Many are the professing, few are the true grateful. Thirdly, this is really important. The greater the thanksgiving, the greater the blessing. See, the blessing is not just in petitioning and receiving answer. There is far, I'm going to show you from the Word of God, far greater blessing that untold blessing that comes from the very attitude of gratitude, that comes from the heart of thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about just on occasions or in public. I'm talking about daily, just like your heartbeat. I want you to notice a few things about this Samaritan. First of all, his, his determination. I mean, this man was determined. He was determined. And he returned to Jesus alone alone. Do you understand that? Alone. He was a Samaritan. The others were Jews. But that did not matter to him. He could have said to himself, you know what, what I need to do, I I, I, I don't like to go back to Jesus alone. If his fellow Jews didn't go, why would I? He could have said to himself, you know what, Uh, I'll wait until they go and I go with them. But he didn't. Why? Because his attitude of gratitude delighted in singing the song of thanksgiving alone. Beloved, listen to me. This is my testimony. I cannot measure my thankfulness by others, and I plead with you to do the same. Even if they appear to be more spiritual, even if they seem to be more versed in the Scripture than you are, even if they appear to be more visibly involved in church activities than you are, even if they seem to project maturity than others. Some of you remember me telling you on several occasions, I already told you, that the man who discipled me in my very early walk with Jesus was an illiterate man. God supernaturally helped him read the Scripture, which is really a long story. One day I'll tell the whole thing. But this man taught me some things. Here I am at nearly 73. I have never forgotten. I have never forgotten and never will forget those lessons. He instilled in me something like this. Michael, if you ever want to stumble in your Christian walk, keep your eyes on church leaders. Keep your eyes on church. I'll never forget. And he said, You know what? The bigger they are, the worse you stumble. And he doesn't mean being fat. (laughs) Big, big names. He said, Always keep your eyes on Jesus. He will never, never, never cause you to stumble. This ex leper was determined, but he also was prompt. He was prompt. He came back to Jesus immediately. He did not wait a day or two, or a week or two, or a month or two. Beloved, don't put off your tangible thankfulness. Don't put it off. Don't wait for an opportune time. It may never come. He was determined, he was prompt, but he also was intense. I know some of you complain about my intensity. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm not sorry. I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Yeah, it comes back to me. And I say, well, you know what? God bless him. I'd rather be that way. He was not satisfied with a tippet, thank you. Maybe he was like, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. That's all the prayer they have. Now, it wasn't like that. He was not satisfied with a cold handshake and saying, thank you. He returned in a loud voice, equal in loudness to the voice by which he petitioned Jesus to heal him. Oh. Uh, listen, he was not showing off you got to understand. I'm going to explain to you why. He's not showing off. He, he was not trying to draw attention to himself, and, and, and I'll tell you why. Most likely, he didn't even understand these kind of subtleties that we have normally, didn't understand these things uh, because um, we, in a cynical culture, we can say things like that, but, but this man was isolated just most of his life, so he really wasn't even thinking those kinds of thoughts but he expressed his thanksgiving with the same intensity by which he asked. You and I know that in our culture today, if someone yells amen in church, he is called a fanatic. But if he yelled from the top of his... Amen, mean, Now, you're not a fanatic, brother. I know you're not. (laughs) But if he yells from the top of his voice in a ball game... He's called a fan. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are actually some people who think the best expression for their Christianity is to be deaf and mute. (laughs) This ex-leper was determined. He was prompt. He was intense, and he was humble. I met some Christians who will let you know how proud they are of their humility and they want you to know all about it. This man fell at Jesus' feet as if to say, Jesus, without your love, Jesus, without your grace, Jesus, without your healing, Jesus, without your mercy, I'm nothing. Verse 18. You see... Jesus expresses a real disappointment, a real disappointment. Here's the one thing a lot of people don't understand, even church people. See, Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I used to know somebody many years ago who said he's a force. No, he's a person. And it's referred to as he in the Bible, in the masculine. And that is why the Bible said, He grieves that our deliberate disobedience grieves him. I know if when I speak a word out and I'm convicted, I said something I shouldn't have said, I made that little stop. I said, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. I want to ungrieve you by my obedience. He's a person. My beloved friend, please listen carefully. here's where this Samaritan, ex-leper, could have blown it. You say, Michael, what do you mean by that? He could have blown it. How? You know, Jesus, they're just not as grateful as I am. (laughs) You know, Jesus, We Samaritans have really been misunderstood all these years. (laughs) Lord have mercy. He did nothing of a sort. He was not interested in pointing out to other people's weaknesses. It's like that Indian songwriter who suffered so much. For Jesus. And they tried to convince her to turn her back on Jesus. And she sat down and wrote the song, which we sing occasionally in this church. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. I want to conclude by pointing to the most important—listen to me, please—this is the most important, the most stupendous, the most fantastic, the most indescribable—I don't know how many adjectives I couldn't find anymore in the dictionary—blessing that came from this thanksgiving, from the attitude of gratitude on the part of this Samaritan. Make no mistake about it. As I said earlier, there is a unique blessing that comes to those who live a life of thanksgiving. In fact, my 20th edition of Empowered by Praise, which God taught me in the crucible and suffering and situation we were in as a family 25 years ago, Charisma is publishing the 20th edition is a new, new and improved Empowered by Praise coming up. See, Mac, I can promote. Uh. <laughs> By the way, the books belong to Leading the Way, really. Don't <laughs> don't help me a bit. Don't forget this. Verse 19. Verse 19. If you forget everything, listen, if you have gone forgot everything I said so far, or I turned you off or whatever it is, may I plead with you, please, don't forget what I'm going to tell you, because this is really important. This is important. Verse 19, look at it with me. This grateful man already received physical healing. But his coming back with effusive thank you ended up receiving a gift that is way beyond the physical healing. He received a unique spiritual eternal healing that the others did not get. You see, beyond the miracle and beyond the healing, beyond the material and earthly blessings, there is a blessing that is far, far, far more important. There is a blessing that is far, far, far more tangible. There is a blessing that lasts forever and ever. It is lasting and everlasting. All the ten lepers physically healed, and yet only the thankful Samaritan received eternal salvation. (laughs) Listen to what Jesus said to him. Rise, go your way. Your faith had made you completely, eternally healed. That's really literally what it means. Beloved, your continuous gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord has a blessing all its own, all its own. Your continuous gratitude and thankfulness can give you a blessing that cannot be valued by all of the wealth of the world. I want to conclude also by telling you a true story, but I also want to speak to the believer who's having a hard time living in the attitude of gratitude, living in thankfulness, that thankfulness to the Lord is not like your heartbeat is constantly, constantly, constantly. Even when you're down, you start counting your blessing. I want to speak to that person because the man I'm going to tell you about is a real person. He was a missionary to China and was a wonderful man of God in the early 1900s by the name of Henry W. Frost. Frost. One day, Mr. Frost received distressing news from home. And for weeks, for weeks, he could not overcome the cloud of depression that has come upon him, covered him like a blanket as a result of hearing this distressing news. And he said, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I read the Scripture, and I read the Scripture but that spirit of heaviness would not left, lift. So, one day he decided to go out of the city into the inland mission station, way out in the middle of nowhere. There was a mission station, and he said, I walked in the door. As soon as I walked in the door, there was a sign on the wall, two words, and the sign says, try Thanksgiving. Try thanksgiving. He said as if the Lord put it there, and yet it was there for years. Try thanksgiving. Here's his testimony. He said, I did. And immediately, he saw that mantle of depression lifted, and joy returned. Try Thanksgiving. Would you say that with me with enthusiasm? Father, I know that in my heart of hearts, and you know that, Lord, about me, that I feel that I've never, I don't thank you enough. Because, Lord, in reality, if I thank you every waking moment, I cannot express my gratitude to you, Lord Jesus, for saving me, for assuring me of eternal life, that even in the ups and downs of this world, it is passing. I pray in Jesus' name, fill our hearts today with thanksgiving. Lord, we've been praying for a revival, we've been praying for an awakening, we've been praying for your work, for your hand, your hand to work in your church. But Lord, we also know you ain't going to come without your children, are literally smitten with thankfulness to you. May that be said of us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Praise Let's the Lord. stand and sing together.